I woke up Tuesday, a year older than I went to bed, um, which means it was my birthday. Thanks. Um, I will not tell you how, how old I am, but thank you. That was nice of you. Um, no, no, definitely not 46. Um, but the reason that I will not tell you that is because I don't feel as old as I really am. But I did Tuesday because I woke up Tuesday and I couldn't breathe which they told me would be a sign of, like, old age. And uh, then I realized that it was because I had a sinus infection and I, I couldn't breathe. So, um, yeah, I've been nursing that all week long. And to, today, yesterday, yesterday, because yesterday was Sunday, yesterday was the first day that I could actually talk. And I was like, oh, i got to go to Camp Papawingo. So um, I was really hoping and praying and resting which I have an eight-year-old. Um, I will work on getting pictures to Uncle Paul so we can do the whole family montage up here, but I have an eight-year-old. His name is Charlie. Um, there are things I want to say about Charlie, but I can't. Um, no, Charlie's a blast. He is our firstborn. Um, he is, how many of you all are firstborn? Yeah, I am too. Um, and he is every bit of firstborn. Um, it's, this is what you said, this is what we have to do. He's very rigid. And then um, almost two and a half years later, God, God blessed us because he decided our life was dull um, with Scout. Scout is recently six. Um, there are times I want to duct tape him to the ceiling. Um, his mom wants to duct, duct tape him to the roof a few times, but nah. He's, he's great, um, and I'll show pictures of them later. Uh, thank goodness that was not me. I was not resetting. Um, thankfully, they look like their mom, and you'll see that here in a little bit. Uh, speaking of which, uh, Sarah Ann is my wife, and we have been married multiple years. And uh, I say that very gratefully because she puts up with me, and she is she's our anchor uh, in, in this crazy life. And uh, if you have ever met her um, or ever get the opportunity to meet her, she is, she is exactly who um, I needed in my life. It just took God 10 years to figure that out. Um, when I graduated high school, she was finishing third, third grade. Third grade. Third grade. Um, so don't, I, this, is, this was nowhere near where I wanted to go. Thank you, um, medication-induced rambling. Uh, but... Um, I was like one of those guys who thought like all through high school and all through college that like there was nobody out there for me, you know, kind of a thing. And God's like, you're right. Like, she's not here. She's in high school. She wasn't even born yet. Um, that's, that's weird <laughs> because she was, but you know, but it's just one of those things. And what was really weird. And then I'm going to like get off of this rabbit trail and get back where I'm supposed to be is, uh, I taught at a school here in this area. And she was actually supposed to have been one of my students, but she decided to go to a different school. And I'm very thankful because that would have been really weird because she was actually in a college class with a guy that I taught speech to. And y'all are like, you taught speech? Yeah, I taught speech. Um, I teach people how to speak good. So, um, but, but he was sitting there and he, like, like, uh, like Sarah, my, my not, 
my wife at the time, but my girlfriend and another friend of ours were in class with this guy, and he was seated, seated between them. And they were like talking back and forth about something, and, and they kept saying, Jared, Jared, Jared. And he goes, I knew a Jared. He was like, his name was Jared Lester, and he was my teacher, like Mr. Lester. And my friend goes, yeah, that's her boyfriend. He goes, you're dating Mr. Lester? And it sounded so weird. And she was like, no, like I'm dating, no. So um, there are times I feel really old, and that was one of them. But uh, you all will not make me feel old this week. So uh, all that rambling aside, I told you, I will, I will introduce my family. I think my youngest may come with me like one day this week. Um, so uh, Stone, I, I mentioned a memory to Stone of, of my little guy, Scout. Um, it was at a, was that a staff retreat, like a, like everybody, senior staff coming back together, reunion kind of a thing. And he actually got up and sang a song. So I might be able to coax him into doing that again. So um, it's really fun because he's a ham. And he, they had their first gymnastics class tonight, which is what I just came from, which is why I was late. And they're tumbling and flipping and like everything. He's like, hey, watch me. And, you know, my oldest is like, yeah, I'm just doing it. Like he doesn't care. So um, I don't know where they get that from. So anyway, uh, turn in your Bibles to John chapter number one. Uh, and while you are doing that, I'm going to write something down that I had a thought in my head as I was back there. Uh, while you guys are turning there and I am writing because I want to see how really good my brain is working uh, I always say this to every group that I come and speak to at camp because I know how camp was is there it is okay this is the elixir of life just in case anybody's wondering and before you jump to conclusions it is pals it is not sweet tea I have not had a sweet tea in seven years no it is just it is a plain tea light ice and it is keeping me sane at the moment so stay don't move stay okay if it falls that way I apologize I'll tilt this way okay um okay this will come into play like later on more in the week this is I'm going back to the hey I'm going to try to tell you something while I'm writing something and you're turning is if you guys get tired I have one rule, and it's very simple. If you get tired, stand up. You're not going to bother me. Just stand up. Okay? So if you feel yourself doing this number, stand up. I don't get offended at all because I understand how camp goes. So if you get tired, stand up. Here's why I tell you to stand up. It changes the blood flow, and it wakes you up. And if you're still that exhausted, it hurts more standing up when you fall down. So usually you have that in the back of your mind, so you're like, don't fall down. I worked for NASCAR. How many of y'all know what NASCAR is? Okay, bunch of rednecks running around, zoom, zoom, zoom. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I worked, I know they do left and rights, they do road courses. So anyway, um, I ran a camera for them, and it was a snow delay, of all things, a snow delay at Bristol, just like right up, right up the road. And I'm standing on the roof of Bristol Motor Speedway, and it's snowing. So I'm standing up on the roof. It's freezing cold. There's wind blowing. So I've gone on, like, layers, and I'm standing up there. And I'm standing like this, and I've got, like, two hoods up over my head. 
and I fall asleep standing up on the roof of the racetrack. And so I'm standing there, and I thought that I was leaning this direction onto like a rail. Excuse me, but apparently I was leaning more this direction. And I took about two steps, and when I stopped, I was looking over the edge of the roof. And I woke myself up very quickly. <laughs> and I took three giant steps back that direction. And I've never fallen asleep on the roof ever again. Um, so, like I said, it hurts more when you're standing up and you fall asleep. So, if you feel tired, just stand up. It's okay. Or if you need to, just move to the back. That's fine, too. Okay. Uh, John, chapter number one, beginning in verse number one. You ready? Everybody ready? Everybody ready? Green hair is ready. Everybody else ready? Sweet. I am not. No, I'm just kidding. I am. Because I am in John. Right there. Okay. Hey. Usually, and I will tell you this, usually this is what my notes look like for like a night at camp. I write very tiny, and that's like really, really like just pinpoints of things. That right there is about an hour. Y'all are in for a treat, because tonight, that's it. So I have gone from front and back, eight and a half by 11 paper to three sticky notes. That <laughs> and I have a timer because I have to get home and put my boys to bed too. So um, that timer will go off and I'll still keep going. So that's not going to be an account. But okay, John chapter number one, verse number one. In the beginning, we're stopping right there. You're like, you got three words into it. You've been up here for 10 minutes and you got three words into a verse. Stop. I did. In the beginning. John is a New Testament writer. John is one of the few gospel writers, and by few, like literally he's half of them, that actually like personally had an encounter with Jesus. Like John refers to himself as Jesus' best friend. Like that, that takes some ego, like in my book a lot of times. But then, like, I really started thinking about it. And you know what? I'm his best friend. You're his best friend. So we can all make that claim. But John literally writes it down. <laughs> He's like, we tight. Like, we tight. Like, I got to sit right beside of him. Did y'all ever have that fight in life? Like, when there was somebody, like, really cool that showed up, and you were like, I want to sit beside him. Like, you scramble to get there. Like, anybody know? Just me? Okay. I was the weird kid. Um, but John is writing this from his personal uh, experiences with Jesus. It's, it's several years after Jesus has died and gone back into heaven, but John is sitting and writing this down. But he's writing it all from, like, firsthand experience. It's not like, hey, I heard that Jesus did this. It's I saw Jesus do this. Here's how important the book of John is to the Bible and to us as Christians. If you literally took away the entire Bible, except for the book of John and the book of Romans, you wouldn't need anything else. Because it's Jesus and what he did, and then Romans is why he did it. Like, the book of John is such a cool book, and it's one that I've gotten to, to grow like into and love a lot more here recently, because I'm realizing that it's not just surface. 
one of my favorite verses in all the Bible is found in John, and it says, it says, it basically says, like, I wasn't even able to write down everything that Jesus did while he was here, because if I were able to do that, the world itself could not contain the volumes of books that should be written. Like, we like to look at this and we go, hey, we know what Jesus did while he was on earth for 33 years. And John goes, no, you know a small part of what Jesus did. Like, the psalmist tells us that, like, he counts every breath that we have. Like, another writer tells us that he knows every hair that's on our head. I have a lot more. I always joke around that, like, I was growing this out for locks of love for, for a certain camp director that I love. So he can, see? So... Um, but my wife likes it too much, so I'm not getting rid of it anytime soon. But uh, my mom asked me every year for Christmas to shave it, and I'm like, okay, and then I asked my wife what she wants for Christmas, and she goes, for you not to shave your beard, and I'm like, wife wins out. So um, actually, I'm just lazy, and I haven't bought a razor in six years. So, but, so in the beginning, I'm, I promise you I'm getting back to this. So the book of John, he starts out with in the beginning, because who he's talking to is this whole new group of people after Jesus has, has died and rose from the grave and ascended back into heaven. And they're called Christians. And they're made up of this wide array of people. They're made up of Jews who have grown up in the Jewish religion. And they've been looking for a Messiah. And for some reason, they overlooked Jesus for a while and they tried to crucify, like they tried to kill him by crucifying him. But then you've got this group of people over here that have never been allowed in the temple, have never been allowed like into, into the church called the Gentiles. That's us. Because we're not Jewish. Unless you are, and then that's cool. But I'm not. You can tell I'm not Jewish. Um, although, a guy thought that I did because I've got a Hebrew tattoo, and I'm like, mm, I just like the word. So anyway, uh, but John's talking to all these people. So when he, when he uses that phrase, in the beginning, anybody know what he's referring to? Okay, so right here, we have the Bible. We have the book of John. If you go left, as far as you can possibly go, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. John literally, in the first three words of his gospel, goes, hey people, we're starting all the way back here. Because that's where it all began. Just in those three words, just saying, in the beginning, everyone who was raised up as a Jew, that triggers, and they went, hey, wait a minute. That's in the Pentateuch. That's in, that's, in, that's in the first book of Moses. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Like, that grabs their attention. So, yes, I did just spend all that time on the first three words. In the beginning was the word. Here, the Greek word is logos. And if you look in your Bible... It's a capital W. It's not Microsoft. It's not Office. Okay. It's, it's talking about a person. Thank you, Uncle Paul, for the laugh. Okay. It's, it's talking about a person. Okay. It's literally talking about the personification of the Old Testament. Was personification a big word for the first day? Everybody? I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay it. Okay. Personification, physical embodiment. Okay. Okay, I was back here, and uh, Angie was, was, we were talking while she was feeding Jackson, and she goes, 
she was, I was talking to somebody today, and they go, hey, who's the camp speaker? And I was like, she was like, I was like, it's Jared. And they go, oh, you mean the guy with the red beard? Yeah, like that's become a thing. Like, uh, yeah, I have a red beard. But like, that's, that's who I am. Like when you say Jared, this is what most people, what most people picture. So here, John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And right off the bat, how many of y'all have heard of the Trinity? Yeah. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Like, Jesus is the Son, God is the Father, the Holy Spirit. Like, John is literally laying out in this first verse. We haven't even made it to verse 2. In the first verse, he's saying, hey, the Word, the physical embodiment of the Old Testament that was there in the beginning, when God created everything, he is God, and he was with God. So he's, like, laying this weird foundation for these people, and he's like, I'm about to blow your mind with like these truth bombs that are coming at you. He's like, I've got to let you guys know this. He said he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, going back to Genesis, and without him was not anything made that was made. And that sounds like the worst tongue twister in the world. But what he's saying is he was in the beginning when God made everything, but he was a part of what God made. Like they were there together. They both had a say in what was going on. And you're like, oh, that's cool. Genesis 2-7 is one of my absolute favorite verses in the Bible. I'm going to read that to you. Genesis 2-7. This is after God has created everything. And I want you guys to, to think about this, and I, always, I usually bring this up when I talk about this. If you've ever gone back and read the creation story, you know about it. It says that God spoke, and this happened. God said this, and this happened. God spoke, and this happened. He's doing a lot of speaking. He's doing a lot of talking. <clears throat> he probably didn't have a pal's tea to help him through it, but I'm trying to. But then here's the cool thing. God literally speaks everything into existence except for when it comes to us. And in John chapter 1, when it says, all things were made through him and without him was not anything that was made that was made. Verse 4, in him was life and the life was the light of men. Here's what John's saying to him. Genesis 2, 7. I had a fourth post-it note hidden, by the way. Genesis 2, 7, then the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature, or man became a living soul. Every tree, every sunbeam, every star, there you go, stone, every cloud, every fish, every bird, every animal, that freaks me out. Not as much as that. But every animal, like everything that he made, he spoke into existence. And then when it came to us, he literally got down in the dirt, got his hands dirty, and created us. And not just molded us and formed us, but then it says he knelt down and he breathed life into us. You see, that's, that's the intimacy about God that we tend to forget that he loved us so much that even in the beginning and that's what John wanted him to realize is back over here in the very beginning he got his hands dirty for you he created you out of the dirt he got down there and he formed you and he formed the eyes and he formed the nose and he formed those big elephant ears not that big just usually like this big but he made you 
And then he breathed life into you. And then John goes, and then you jump forward all the way over here. And what does he do? John chapter 1, and I'm skipping ahead. Like, wow, all that for those first few verses, and now here we go. Yes, I know. Thank you. Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, okay, his own things, us, the things that he created, his own people, his own domain. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Luke chapter 2 tells the most beautiful story about Jesus' birth. When you think about, like, the silent night, trust me, I've had kids. It probably was not that silent. But it talks about, like, that night where he was born and, and the shepherds coming, and then a few years later, the, the wise men coming, and how there, there was no room for him. And, like, literally, he came down here, and, like, the heavens themselves, the angels were proclaiming that the Messiah had come, the creator had come, the king had come, and shepherds showed up. There wasn't fanfare. There wasn't a big parade. It wasn't all over Twitter. It wasn't all over Instagram. It wasn't all over all of that. It was just a stable. And it says that he came and his own didn't even know who he was and they didn't even receive him. And then 33 years later, he comes out, or 30 years later, he comes out and he begins his ministry. And that's where we pick it up here in John. Because John the Baptist goes, hey, behold the Lamb of God. Right there he is. I've been telling you guys about him, and here he is. He's come to take away the sins of the world. What John the Baptist was saying there is he's come to get his hands dirty a second time for you. The first time was when he formed you and he breathed life into you. And this second time, his hands are going to be strung on a cross. And they're going to be nailed there. And they're going to be bloodied, and they're going to be dirty, and they're going to be viewed as, as vile. But he's doing that because now he's breathing eternal life into you through this blood that he is shedding. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. I know you all are going, what does this have to do with the big thought? I love it. Because in that moment, when his arms are outstretched, and he's bleeding, and he's dying for me, and for you, and for everybody that was ever born, and everybody that's ever going to be born, and live, and die, and need to make a decision. And please, take what I say right here, with every ounce of, like, literary license that you can. It was literally the greatest show on earth. And I don't mean like spectacle. I mean it was the greatest show of love that this earth had ever seen and will ever see. Because he was sinless and he died for us. Verse number 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And if you ever wanted it just in a nutshell, 
turn over to the next page, John 3.16, and everybody knows this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the whole thing. From cover to cover, top to bottom, that's what it points to. That's the nucleus around every, that everything else spins around. Or as Stone would put it, that's the sun that everything spins around. Sorry, I just, I, I, Stone, Stone's my buddy. I told my kids he's an astronaut. <laughs> Stone's an astronaut. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, he's an astronaut. So if my kids see Stone, they're going to be like, He's a spaceman. <laughs> but guys, I don't want you all to I don't want y'all to, to, to miss this. It's just that he came to his own and his own received him not. Do you realize that that's a daily decision that we have to make? On whether we, we accept what God has done for us? And I'm not just saying like we have to get saved every day. What I'm saying is we have to make a conscious decision every day to go, you know what? I'm not going to waste what he did for me on the cross. I'm not going to take advantage of it. I'm not going to take it for granted. Like, I want to live my life so that it showcases him. Because that's what it's all about. I love it because it says, we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. who we get to serve that's who we get to sing about I was trying to figure out a way to end it and y'all are like yeah you're doing a really good job of this one and that song was perfect like the song right before I got up here and that's what I wanted to write down I had a blank thing up here because I was like I can't figure out what to, what to do to end this but then it was just like right there in the middle of that song the chorus it's always been you I mean, how many of you all, and you don't have to raise your hands because this is a rhetorical question, and I will always think about that in this, in this building because I would ask a question, there's this, always this kid sat right back here in the back, and he'd always like, shoot up his hand and like, just start answering. I'm like, dude, it's a rhetorical question. And he goes, what's a rhetorical question? I went, don't answer it. So I always think about that, but it's a re- this is a rhetorical question. When you were singing that song, were you literally proclaiming that to God, that it's always been you? Every breath. Every moment, it's always been you. From when my life first began until now, it's always been you. It's always been about you. It actually just reminded me of another song from back in my youth group days, which was several years ago. But it says, when the music fades and all is swept away, then I simply come. I mean, like, that's really what it's talking about. It's like when you break down everything, when you tear away everything else, what's at the core of what you did? Is it God and God alone? And when you break it down to the core, is it you? Overshadowing what God is trying to do. 
For some of you this week, it's going to be God standing there at your heart and knocking on it going, hey, you've got to let me in. You've got to let me in. You've never let me in. You've got to let me in. You've got to let me be the center. And then there's going to be some of you, God's going to be in there on the inside going, hey, you've got to let me out. Because a lot of times this is what we do with him. We go, hey, we've got you now. We've caught you. We're just going to cage you, and you're just kind of over here. That's where my thought process went. That's why I said that's one of the scariest things, because my brain was already going there. Because this is what we do with God a lot. We go, hey, I've got you in this little box. Like, you're over here in my little God-shaped box. And when I need you, I'll kind of come and let you out, and I'll parade you around and let everybody see that I've got you. And then I'm going to go, and I'm going to put you back over here. I'm going to wave at you, and I'm going to come feed you every now and then, because I'll read a Bible verse every now and then, but you're over there. I'm over here until I need you. Then I'm going to go back over there. And then there's some of us, this is God in our life. Like, there ain't no hiding him. He's the elephant in the room. Like, you just walk in, and somebody goes, mm, that boy's got Jesus. I mean, like, it is every fiber of your being is just proclaiming who God is. A lot of you, that's uncomfortable. I'll be honest with you. There's times where I'm more in a cage than I am letting him be the elephant in the room. That's a hard thing to stand up and admit sometimes. Because this is what I want him to be, but sometimes this is what I have him be. It's always been him. From the beginning, it's always been him. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I was not ignoring you. I'll catch you in a little bit, okay? Like I said, there's some of you here. God's going to be knocking. That's not just Jared speak. The Bible says it. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Some of you may not have a door knocker. You might be ringing the bell. doesn't matter. Some of you, he's going to be standing there. He's going to be, hey, let me in. Let me in. Just wait until like we're together and you can see what's going to happen. Sometimes we, we, we paint a relationship with God as like this just heavy drudgery. Oh, I can't have any fun. You find somebody that God is the elephant in their life? Never ever thought I would make that statement. That the God is that elephant in the room kind of lifestyle for them. You ask them, hey, is this life fun? Yeah. Yeah, but it's hard. Yeah, but it's fun. Why? Because it's all about him. Good times, bad times, it's all about him. man, I want to live my life where he's the elephant in the room. I want God to be so big in your life and my life that when we walk into a room, nothing else can be there. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible, and I'm not going to teach on it this week because I promised myself I wasn't going to do it, is in Isaiah. So here I am doing it. And Isaiah is transported to the throne room of God. And it says that the glory of God filled the temple. And the word that's used there, it means every nook, every cranny, every mouse hole of the temple is filled up with the glory of God. So much so that Isaiah is shielding his face going, why am I here? Like I'm taking up space that could be used for God's glory to be here. 
that's the kind of life that I want God to have in me. That's the kind of life I want you to have in God too. And it all begins with a relationship with Jesus. Father, we love you. Father, we cannot thank you enough because in the beginning, you knew about us. Father, even before you spoke the first words and said, let there be light, you knew that I was going to be. And God, you knew the things that I was going to do against you. But God, you still did it. You still created life. You still breathed into us. You still came. You still died for us. Because it's always been about you. It's always been about your love. Father, I pray this week if there's somebody here that doesn't know what that love means, that doesn't know what that relationship is with you, God, I pray that you just stand there and you just knock and you just knock and you just keep knocking, you just keep knocking louder. God, until it's just unbearable, it's just so uncomfortable, and they go, I've got to get this settled, I've got to get this right. God, if there's somebody here that's just got you in like a little God-shaped box in the back corner that they can just pull out at times when they need it, just a little bit of insurance. God, help them know that feel like you can help them break free of the cage that they put themselves in by thinking that they put you in one. And Father, for those that just live every second of every minute, of every hour, of every day, proclaiming who you are, God, give them the strength and the courage to keep doing it. God, may people know that in our lives, it's always you. It's always been you.